Geekville Radio. Welcome once again, fellow geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, welcoming you to another edition of Geekle Radio's Nostalgia Trip. And this is the first episode that we are doing in the month of October. We do this every year. It's kind of our grand crossover event, you might say, where we take a lot of Halloween-themed subjects and divide them up again into each of our shows. So we have something Halloween that fits with every one of the shows we do here in the Geekville Radio family. Let me introduce you my co-host and friend whose idea this was to do in the first place from a nice soft <laughs> pedestal in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train, Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Is it a shocker the guy that actually has the one horror-themed podcast on the network is the one who suggested we, just, we, we should develop the whole month of October to that kind of stuff? <laughs> right. Yeah, and it is what it is. I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, Seth. I don't know why you lose your mind and let me program the month of October, but I thank you. And of course, since most of you can probably tell, we're not doing this in the usual Geek Radio Studios. The train is joining on phone. That may not be ideal, but it is what it is. And I'd rather do a show on the phone than not do a show. Yeah, I've escaped the asylum for a few hours, and that prevents me from being my computer, or my Xbox. Then normally, the sound quality you hear. But I'm going to brag on Seth. Seth's going back to school, working on some college. So our schedules have gotten all kinds of crazy, have they not? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. But we do what we can when we can. So Right. It's labor of love, and we appreciate everybody that listens and, and gives us compliments. So we're not going to complain too much. Right. Absolutely. So in case you couldn't tell from the introduction, this edition of the Nostalgia Trip is devoted to the classic mid-60s TV show, The Addams Family. Last year, we did for Nostalgia Trip, The Munsters. So we figured it was only fitting that this year we do The Addams Family, which is the, kind of the other monster-themed sitcom, you might say. From that era, yeah. Yeah, while, while we will mainly be talking about the TV show that everybody remembers, we will bring up other incarnations of The Addams Family, where they were and how they were done. We won't spend that much time on each of those because, like I said, we're going to devote most of the time to the TV show because I think that's what people relate to the most when they hear the Adams Family. But what some people may not know is those characters were not created necessarily for TV. They were based on a series of comic strip panels that were created and drawn by Charles Adams with two Ds, which is where they get the names. And contrary to popular belief, some people may have just thought this the case when they heard of comic strips. That strip was not called The Adams Family. It had a format similar to The Far Side, where they were all one-frame cartoons. And he had a lot of cartoons did that. In fact, the vast majority of Charles Addison's cartoons did not have those characters in it. I'll throw to you, Train, as far as the comic strips, because I think you know more about them than I do. But if you want to let us know, I mean, it, it was a part of his comics, but it wasn't the main part, you might say. Oh, yeah. This goes way back, because he started doing he's publishing these in 1938. So pre-World War II. So mm-hmm. Almost 30 around, years what, before the show, yeah. Before the show. And it, was, and it wasn't like a comic. When we've done things like our lesser-known Geek Hall of Fame, and we've talked about characters like The Phantom and how they had the weekly comic strips that were syndicated out in newspapers. Yeah, there was some of that with Adam's family, but it was more than anything. It was in magazines like The New Yorker, more highbrow, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. The New Yorker's one of those publications that see people reading that like work on wall street like that it's a professional magazine you could see right and i believe the strip ran concurrently with the show and then when the show got canceled 
it still ran until like what the late eighties when Charles Adams passed away, I think. I believe so. Yeah, I think he kept kept making them up until he died. Yeah, so it was like eighty seven, eighty eight. So that's like a fifty year run. That's that's impressive in any print media for anything. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so the thing I always find interesting about about the the comic strip was it was because, like you said, it was a single panel. It was all like far side, so it was a, kind of a a visual joke. Sometimes it, they wouldn't even have a caption, and the characters looked a little differently the way Charles Adams drew them than they would later be cast as. But the but the, the general look was still there. And another thing that was interesting, and they had no name until the TV show. You just knew this was a family. You knew this was a husband and a wife with two kids and whatever. But they were not actually named until the show comes around in 64. So that, I think, is even another analogy to Farside. They had the way that, that those were drawn. The characters looked the same, but there was never any name or recurring characters that I can remember in Farside. So I think you had said to me when we were prepping for this that as much as you love the monsters and – we did talk about the Adams family a little bit in that episode last year for you know Halloween because you kind of can't talk about one without talking about the other. I, I think the Munsters was a little more campy and a little more family, whereas I think the Adams humor going all the way back to the comic strip was a little darker and a little more cerebral. You got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. The Munsters were created. To my knowledge, they were created kind of as counter-programming to the Adams family. They knew... It was coming because it aired on CBS, I believe, while the Adam Sandler right. aired on ABC. So CBS put right. on the Monsters because it was a universal production and they had rights to all of those classic monster characters. So that that's why they used those as their inspiration. Whereas Adam's family, they just had the strip. And like you said, the, the characters didn't have names. What happened was Charles Adams was actually approached by a television producer named David Levy. And it was Levy's idea to adapt these characters into a TV show. And Adams was given the freedom of naming the characters. So the characters' names and their personalities and all that, that still came from Charles Adams because it's only fair that you take the guy's creations, you allow him to have creative input. And while Charles Adams was not credited with writing any particular episodes, he was involved with the creative process. So he... Right. Thought up many of the gags, some of the quirky scenes. Uh, some of the writers actually, I believe, helped make Marx Brothers films. So there are kind of Marx Brothers similarities as well. Yeah, I do, I do believe, and, and, and if your research tells you otherwise, please correct me. Like we said, this had a 30-year history or almost 30-year history when the TV show decided to get made. You just point out it would make sense for him to be involved in the creative process. The actual, the comic strip that it's based on, this was kind of his dark gothic twist on his own family, wasn't it? I think so. I think it was inspired by his family. Well, I, I look, I, I'm reminded of one of my favorite comic strips from my youth, which was Family Circus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read by that Bill too. Keen. And Bill Keen openly said Family Circus was him and his family. That was his wife and his you know. So that, I don't think, fairly unusual for comic strips. I think I've even read before that Mort Walker, who did Beetle Bailey, that some of that was some of his own experiences from when he was in the service. Have you not read that too, I think, maybe? I, I believe so. I, and the term that Charles Adams used to describe the characters is he kind of referred to them as his children, probably because he was the creator. And all. But I, I don't see how yep. you can do recurring humor kind of that dark and not have a kind of based on per- personal experiences, I think. Sure, sure. We'll talk, we'll go more to this legacy, the legacy of the Adams family. They were well on their way to becoming pop culture icons when the TV show 
hit, and that just put him over the top. And I've even read reviews of Adam's family comparing them to, like, the Kennedys and, like, these well-known pop culture American family icons, just the dark gothic. And I think that's a, I think it's a fair analogy, don't you? Yeah, and, and there's a little bit of social commentary there as well. Right, right. And, then, and that, that goes into the, the more cerebral side, I think, of Charles's humor that we were talking about that did also carried over to the television show. Like I said, the Munsters were straight up. There was a little bit of so, more social commentary going on in the Adams family, both the strip and the, and the television show. The Munsters was just silly fun. Now, when we say dark, let me put that out there. It's even the strip and the TV show and all the stuff that would come later. None of it was so dark it's like a hard R rate. It's just darker than the Munsters is what we're saying. Would you agree right. with that? Right. I think a perfect example of the humor of the show, of it being dark, was actually in the first episode where a school, I think it's like a superintendent or somebody like that, somebody that runs public, helps run public schools, tries to find mm-hmm. out why Pugsley and Wednesday are not going to school. And Wednesday has a headless doll in her possession. And the man remarks, but your doll doesn't have a head. And Wednesday remarks, oh, it's Mary Antoinette. And like that deadpan delivery that she has. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which was probably expounded on in later incarnations, but... One more right, thing about right. the Munsters, there mm-hmm. were similarities, really, because one thing they had in common was these were not bad people. These were not people that tried to be scary. These are people who actually are a loving family and try to be friendly with others, but both families seem to be completely oblivious to the fact as to why everybody's scared of them. The way I've always described the Adams family, in the most polite terms, they were eccentric. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's as gracious and polite as I can be. And uh, who knew the rise of the gothic subculture that kind of started in the 80s and really hit full tilt in the 90s? I don't even know if nowadays they would be considered abnormal to you. <laughs> oh, eccentric. yeah, absolutely. I, I fully believe that some of the stereotypical goth looks probably came from Adam's family with Morticia oh, yeah. and Wednesday. They both have the incredibly black hair and the incredibly paley white faces. Oh, yeah, my, my ex-wife will openly admit she was a goth chick in college in the early 90s. And she, her affinity for Wednesday is beyond pale, no pun intended. And as openly talked about, there were a lot of key things that kind of formed and informed the gothic movement that was big with the youth in the 90s. And the Adams family was at the top of that list. There are other things, Anne Rice vampire interview, the interview of the vampire novels, Dracula, the things mm-hmm. you can think of. But Adams family was always on that list of anybody I've talked to that was really into the goth subculture with the look and the dress and the music. The Adams family is like always on their top five, top ten list of these are the things that influence the goth motif. So. I think the analogy of saying they're kind of the gothic version of the Kennedys to combine that review I read by a, you know, a TV critic back in the 60s. I think that's, I think when you look at that, that's, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and I think it's another kind of deviation from where the Munsters work, because with the Munsters, Herman clearly had a job. He went to work right. every day. I don't think anybody in the Adams household is depicted as having a job, yet they're clearly they're rich enough to have this big house. They have all mm-hmm. this stuff lining around it, so they get the money from somewhere. And Gomez certainly acts like money's not a problem to him, like he's never going to have to worry about reaching down to, right. to his pockets to pay for something expensive. Right. Well, our, our fans know you're the big monster guy. I'm the big Adams guy. So mm-hmm. I'm probably a little more intimate about the. You know, on the it, it's just alluded to, and I think it's even said a couple of times in the show and, and the later media, they are, to use the, use the, the PC term nowadays, they're elite. 
Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they're, they're a one percenter. It's, now, it's never really fully gone into how that money was earned. I think there's, for some comedic effect, I, I remember sometimes it was alluded to, it might have been a less than a respectable way that the family got came about that money, but they were generational. Stuff. Right, right. Where, like you said, the Munsters, Herman, was he was a working Joe. He was just completely oblivious anyway. to the fact that he looked like Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And they, they both started in 64, correct? Yeah, they ran almost exactly the same amount of time from... I think fall of 1964 to the going into the summer of 66. I believe it was two seasons. And I think they were fairly, I think we even brought this up last year when we did the Munsters. They were kind of neck and neck as far as ratings went too, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. I'm sure there were people that watched both. Well, you want to go ahead and just take a break, and when we come back, we'll start talking, we'll start breaking down each individual character and their interaction and kind of the TV show itself. Yep, that seems like a natural step here. This is Geekville Radio, The Nostalgia Trip, and we will be right back. Are you looking for a gaming-themed podcast? Then check out You Just Got Fragged. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world, and of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at YouJustGotFragged.com, part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family. I've been yours since that first day you carved my initials in your leg. I have been yours since the day I first saw you riding side saddle on a buffalo. All right, we are back talking the Adams family, and we're going to talk about the characters that were main parts of the show, kind of the main cast and some of the supporting characters and such. And I think the perfect way to start out is with arguably the biggest star of the show, which is Morticia Adams, who is portrayed by Carolyn Jones. She's the mother of the family. Like I said, arguably the most recognizable character of the show. And her look, kind of like similar, but even though it was an unrelated character, I think she kind of had that vampire look that, you know, vampire had in the mm-hmm. 50s. Again, the incredibly black hair, the incredibly white skin. and Very, Morticia- very form-fitting, tight, long-dressed black. Exactly, yeah. Morticia also has jet black hair, wears the black dress, it kind of goes all the way down to the floor, though. There, right. there really wasn't whatever you would call that hem along the skirt part of a dress that would show like part of the leg or something like that. She didn't have that. Yeah, all no slip. Yeah. She didn't have a slip, yeah. All, all the way down to the floor, and then there were like kind of cloth tentacles on the floor of her dress. So I would imagine it wasn't very kinda, easy to... I always thought the bottom of her dress reminded me a little bit of like the, the bottom, the scallop, the bottom of Batman's cape. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I would imagine, though, it probably wasn't the best dress to move around in because you probably didn't have that much leg room. Or... Yeah, but Car- Carolyn Jones was quite an attractive woman, so she pulled it off. She had a good right. figure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And one other thing about Morticia Adams that some people may not know, but her actually her maiden name was Frump because I believe it was explained in the second season that Gomez was originally set to marry Morticia's sister, who was also played by Carol, and uh, but they were uh-huh. like complete op- opposites. They, she was referred to as the white sheep of the family. It's not that not that similar from our first nostalgia trip when we when we contrasted and compared and contrasted Boss Hog from his his brother. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Except in, this, in that case, the, the bad guy wore white and the good guy wore black. <laughs> right, but it is explained around there that the last name was Frump and became Adams because she met. Gomez and they fell in love and got married and the rest as they say is a hysterectomy. Yep, exactly. Well, next character we just mentioned then would be the patriarch of the family, and that would be Gomez, who mm-hmm. was played by John Aston. Yes, the father of, of Sean Aston for the, our Lord of the Ring fan listeners. And Goonies. This I would say 
I would say outside of maybe his role as the Riddler, this probably is the most famous, most well-known role that John Aston had, wouldn't you say? I think so. It's, it's certainly the role that I think got him so much work afterwards. I have seen John Aston do some dramatic roles. I think just the other day mm-hmm. I saw him in a rerun of Murder, She Wrote, which, of course, was not a comedy. But right. I think John Aston was at his best playing what might be called a fruit, a character that's got those quirks, whether good right. or bad. He was, he, quirky is a good way to describe good. Yeah, <laughs> eccentric, because you see it even in the introduction to the show when they're doing the finger snap right. thing. The way he's looking right. at the camera, John Aston just has this anxious grin on his face like he can't wait to see what happens especially when he's blowing up his train sets i i think part of the reason that gomez worked is, is the quirkiness and john aston hit like you said hit that so well i think that's why he became much more of a comedic actor after this because producers and, and people that casting directors were like oh this guy has good comedic timing because there were what they would refer to in comedy as a straight man. Gomez was one of several straight men in this particular setting. But like you said, even with the Munsters, too, that's part of the... They're completely oblivious to the fact that they, they scare people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they see it as completely normal. And I think at times, Morticia kind of realizes that she's scary and she scares people, but she doesn't care. Whereas I don't think Gomez has that clue. Right, I think right. He's completely oblivious to the fact that he is... Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. The way he would do his eyes when he would do that as Gomez, I think that even sold it more. But he was obviously a very loving father and a very, very devout husband. That's one thing I think that they did have in common monster and was some of the comedy for the time because they did look so up. This was a very, very, to use the you know clinical term, functional family. They were a very loving, caring family who protected each other and, and built each other up. And that had this weird 1964, that a guy like Gomez dedicated husband and father, but he was. And I think that as much as I loved his take on the Riddler, I think Gorshin's was a little bit better. It's like when you have somebody like Harrison Ford, it's a coin toss on whether he's going to be remembered as Han Solo or Indiana Jones. There is no coin toss with John Afton. It is going to be Gomez Adams. So we talked about how they were loving parents. Why don't you start off with the kids, then? Okay. Well, the older of the two kids is Pugsley, who is played by Ken Weatherwax. And I think if there was a member of the family that was kind of the most normal in a secular sense, it was Pugsley, because he occasionally went and did normal kid things. There's a time he joined the Boy Scouts, and he occasionally would talk to normal people like they were normal. And, of course, in true fashion of the characters, whenever... Bugsley decides to do something normal in a secular sense, the family gets concerned because they think bad things are happening. Again, oblivious to the fact as to why there's no harm in what he's doing. And as far as Ken Weatherwax goes, I don't think he really was known for any other roles besides Bugsley. I guess just kind of the child actor and that was it. But I could be wrong about that. Right. I, I forgot to talk about the look of Gomez. Gomez, unlike Morticia, wasn't as dressed as provocatively or, or, or monsterish. He just always wore like a suit, and sometimes you see him around the house like an ascot and, and a smoking jacket. Pugsley, he always wore the same thing, didn't he? Outside of the episode where he was in the Boy Scouts and he wore a scout uniform, he always had the same outfit on. Yeah, he had kind of a simple polo-style pullover shirt that usually striped, mm-hmm. but but yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty much the same outfit every day. Now, a lot of the comedy of the show comes from the next character, which was his sister, Wednesday Adams. And I think if Morticia and Gomez were the focus of the show, I think that 
over time, Wednesday's kind of become the, the breakout star of the series and all the media stuff. And the the television show version was portrayed by Lee Loring. Wednesday was, I don't want to say she was smarter than Pugsley, but she wasn't as childlike. She was an old soul. Even as a young child, she had a very serious, dark demeanor about her. She had, like you said, that, that traditional goth look. And I think her look also was very similar so what we think of in modern terms is, oh, this the creepy kid from a horror movie. She was very sullen. She had blank expression almost all the time, no matter how insane stuff was going on around her. Long, dark hair. She would often braid it and did like two braided ponies. Didn't really smile much. No, no. But wore like the black dress with black tights and little black Mary Janes. Believe me, I dated several golf girls in the 90s. A lot of them looked like what they, <laughs> they had. Them. That, that became the look for golf chicks. And... Mm-hmm. Like I said, like you said, very, very, didn't smile a lot because she always had this very blank stare on her face. Very, we would call it in the wrestling business, she no sold everything. Yeah. And I think a mainstream entertainment way of putting it is she deadpanned everything. She just didn't show any mm-hmm. emotion, good or right. bad. Right. And a lot of the, the comedy, that was never stuff that was expounded upon. It was usually just like a, a sight gag. And there was some of this even about going back to the comics where there was always kind of shown that Wednesday was smart and did good in school. And Pugsley, too, for that matter. But Wednesday would, would do something that was obviously extremely dangerous and often was going to lead to not only death of, of the person involved, but catastrophically 80 slasher level of violence. And usually Pugsley was the one she had convinced to be her test subject. And Pugsley, being a loving brother, would be like, okay. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. And so she was the instigator of it. And say things like, oh, I have a school project on electricity. Let's test it out, Pugsley. And she was trapped to an electric chair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're studying Ben Franklin in, in history. So here, hold this metal key and go out and go out in the, in the lightning storm for me, Pugsley. That kind of stuff. And right. that's where a lot of, of the humor came from. And and I think that the interplay between Pugsley and Wednesday always worked because anybody that has siblings know that sometimes your siblings will talk you into doing stuff that they know that that you might get hurt doing and they think it's funny. Well, they just took it to the most extreme levels. And Wednesday, and Wednesday was always the, instigated and perpetrated that type of, of activity. Now, another very well-known character that was part of the main cast was Lurch, the butler, played by the late great Ted Cassidy. And Lurch was obviously very tall. I want to say Ted Cassidy was like 6'9 or 6'7 or something like that. And He's it a was, big, big man. There's no doubt yes. about that. And so... He was kind of, again, not really deadpanned, but just he kind of, he had that low grumbling voice that was almost kind of scary sounding. Didn't really talk much, Mm -hmm. usually spoken phrases or short sentences, but he was very faithful at his job, very good at his job. And, but he was another one of those characters that would easily scare normal people because he was so big (laughs) and usually depicted as having kind of superhuman strength. He could pick up just about anything in the house and carry it off. I've always, the way I always saw Lurch, and maybe this has to be due with the makeup that the makeup people did on the show, they would do the black paint around his eyes to make his eyes look sunken. There was almost this vibe that he was like a zombie. He was a reanimated mm-hmm. corpse. Yeah. Maybe a, a little bit of Frankenstein's creature. Yeah. Solomon Grandy. And one of his mm-hmm. most famous, like, yeah, one of his most famous, like you said, phrases or short sentences is how he spoke. He has the butler mm-hmm. would answer the door a lot. And when mm-hmm. he would answer the door, you rang. And he would mm-hmm. say it in that deep voice like that. And right. he would scare people, but Lurch wasn't trying to scare people. He was doing his job as a butler. Now, what else did t- I know? Ted, I know Ted Cassidy went on and had a 
future geek stuff. Well, you told me one time, and I was I was a little bit surprised. What was it that he did after this? Well, he was the voice that you hear in the introduction to the Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk series. You do hear that. Oh, that's that was it. That was oh, he's yeah, the narrator. That, and he also did uh, a lot of voiceover for like cartoons and such. And one that oh, okay. it, I I'm not exactly sure if this if it was him, but I think. It, it, it was one where usually if there was like some sort of uh, giant monster or alligator or some other creature like that, you'd hear like this wah, 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 type well, right, right, grumbling. Right. That was actually Ted Cassidy that did that. I wish I could, if, if I find a so sound bit was, of it, I can was, add it. He was essentially Fred Tastacourt before Ted Tastacourt became yeah. name. Yeah, I guess you could say that, yeah. He was the go-to creature effect voice work and animated stuff is what you're saying. Right, right, yeah. Well, the next character was actually also portrayed by Ted Cass, and that was called Thing. And Thing was, I, I don't think I ever remember what, if, if he was just a friend of the family or he was a family, but in the strips, he was dimly lit. You never saw him. And as, as you moved into the 50s, Charles Adams developed the more, and this is what you saw in the show and is what he's known as now. He was a disembodied hand. I, I love Thing. I think Thing the way, but it was Ted Cassidy's hand. It was big scary looking hand mm-hmm. that was, was about i think it was, it was a right hand if i remember right it was it seemed to end just like right, right above the wrist right so, right thing you get you're like well a disembodied hand they used that that gag to wonderful comedic effect and there was just this way that thing as a disembodied hand would be able to communicate non-verbally to where everybody in the family got it which i think was once again one of the other things i think added to the comedy of the show right and what's also funny about thing is he could appear like in different areas of the household within seconds like he could be in like the front room and then all of a sudden seconds later appear in a bedroom or a hallway or something like that without really explanation on how he got there yeah i think in my mind when i was watching this on reruns as a kid i I don't know this is the way the kid's mind thinks that 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 flummoxes you as an adult but as a kid you're like well he's small enough he just go in between the walls Mm-hmm. You know, he that I, I don't know. Like I said, he, he was only alluded to in the comics. He wasn't really become a full formed character uh, until the television show. And once again, like you said, Adams signed off on all this stuff and created stuff. And I think Thing, in many ways, became another breakout star, just like Wednesday. He's one of the things that that the show is most remembered, and yeah. all subsequent media after. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Another one of the regular characters was Uncle Fester, played by Jackie Coogan, probably eccentric even by the family standard. Usually energetic, mm-hmm. always happy. He also had an appreciation for explosives the way Gomez did, only he usually blow up much bigger things. And I think right. it's safe to say how you see those personality surveys, you might say, where they try to tell you what character are you from whatever show. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. if... I took one of those, I would wind up as Uncle Fester because he's the character I think I was able to relate to the most. Just because. Uh, Uncle, I think Uncle Fester was a lot like, like Grandpa mm-hmm. on the Munsters because there's elements of like he's a mad scientist. He, he's always doing experiments and stuff. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think the familial relationship, he is the brother of Gomez, right? He's Gomez's brother. I actually, I believe he is uh, Morticia's uncle. I, I so. That would oh, actually okay. make him so he's on the front front side. I'm not on the not on the on the... right, right. Which I think would technically make him the great uncle of the kids, or, or grand grand uncle. Okay. I guess would be the proper term. But he's also, unfortunately, both of mine that fit this bill have passed away. 
but I think everybody growing up and in a normal American family has that cool, fun uncle. Did you have mm-hmm. one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Uncle Fester kind of was that for Pugsley and, and Wednesday, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I think so. He, he was the fun uncle. Granted, his idea of fun was blowing up houses. And if people happen to be inside, oh, well, right? But And that's the thing, too, is with all this crazy, violent stuff that Adams would do, I don't think there was ever any intention by any of them to harm anyone, do you? No, no, I, I don't believe so. I don't, I don't think they tried to kill or maim or injure anything. They just liked big explosions or uh, big uh, collapses, you might say. I think Wednesday did realize that could happen with the stuff she did with Pugsley, but it was kind of like, oh, all the name of science. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like the uh, Bunsen Honeydew and Beaker, how Dr. Bunsen always yeah. put Beaker in danger whenever he was testing his, his experiments. And I guess the next character, most most care we've already mentioned her a couple times, would be Grandmama. And she's a character that actually had a lot of changes because when she's introduced in the comic strip, it's never really explicitly stated whose mom she is. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of led, you're kind of led to understand that she's Gomez. And she is a witch. She's like, a, she looks very cronish, like an old school hag kind of look with the long hook nose and the wart on her cheek and kind of like frazzled hair and wear like the crocheted shawl, like a, a medium or a gypsy almost when you, Mm-hmm. agree with that look and she was portrayed in the tv show by blossom rock but once the tv show gets up that's where you bring up the point that morticia's name was frump becomes important because i don't know if it was an improv or this was written in the script but about a, six months into the front of the first season gomez refers to her as grandmama frump and then all of a sudden we know now without without any compunction this is morticia's mom and they, and they never strayed away from it after but there was a lot of question as as to whose mother she was or was she somebody's grandmother so we'll make her pugsley and wednesday's great grandmother right. but that's explicitly stated eventually in the television show From that point on we know she's a frump we know she's morticia's mother and she a lot like uncle fester she was she was more of a supporting character who every once in a while there'd be an episode where her schemes would would be the catalyst for the comedy but being where if Fester was a mad scientist, she was like a witch. She mm-hmm. was always doing spells and making potions and brewing stuff with the cauldron. So I love Thing. Thing's probably my favorite character. Grandma Ma's probably my second favorite character on the show, just for me. You said yours is Uncle Fester. But yeah. I think that's true of any television show that's very iconic. Certain fans glom towards certain characters. Don't you agree? Yeah. Now moving on to characters that weren't part of the main cast but were included. Some of them were normal people, you, you might say, like, uh, again, policemen or people that worked at the school and such. Neighbors. Yeah. But I believe Morticia's mother was actually referred to as Hester Frump. So that would mean... Uh, Hester Frump would have been her name? Yeah. So, of course, it sounds it rhymes with Fester, Fester and Hester. And, uh, and uh, but she was played by a different character, although I believe Morticia's sister was called Ophelia. Frump, and that was Carolyn Jones playing double duty. Again, kind of going back like we talked about with, with Boss right. Hogg's brother. But but I think the most popular recurring character, I'll let you handle, handle this one, Train, is probably Cousin It, right? Yeah. I think he's, Cousin It was, wasn't was even introduced in, in the comic strip until 54. So he's only about 10 years old when the TV show comes around. So he's not nearly as well-developed or well-known. And how do you describe the look of Cousin It? For those our age, they remember Captain Caveman. But yeah. he is essentially like a hairball with two feet that are sometimes depicted as bare feet, sometimes depicted as shoes. But you never see his face, his eye. Sometimes his nose would stick out through the fur, wouldn't it, through the, through the hair? 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. The the character I would most closely say he resembles would have been uh, there was a monster in Bugs Bunny cartoons that just all seemed to be just just yeah, hair, eyes, yeah. and feet. It's something like that. He was like a full size Tribble for our Trekkies out there. Yeah, that's probably a good way of putting it. Yeah, <laughs> and much like the Tribbles, cousin it never spoke in any intelligible way. And once again, to add the comedic effect, he would do that. And everybody in the family, including Lurch, who wasn't even part of the family, would understand what he was saying and respond back. And then you as a viewer would pick up contextually what he had said. But I did like how sometimes they would they would put like a little hat on top of him or when they were having a formal affair, there'd be just a little bow tie in front of the fur. And, and, and cousin it, if, if the Adams family was done today for the first time, the cousin it stuff toy with with that you squeeze and it made those noises. That would be mm-hmm. the Christmas gift of, um, toy of the, of the year that year. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. He's Grogu. He's BB-8. He's R2. He's mm-hmm. Ewoks. Long before any of those ever existed. Yeah, yeah. And I think if the show was to be done now, uh, he probably would, just would have been CGI. Probably just would have been animated. Right. Because I can't imagine who the I don't know who the actor was or my guess it was probably multiple actors. That could have been comfortable wearing that heavy costume. That had to be heavy. Had to be hot. You you couldn't see out of it. That could not have been a fun gig. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, but it pays. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Gomez would be would be the good person that goes. Hey, but there's a check involved. That's that that would right. be Gomez's kind of humor, right? <laughs> right. Okay. One thing I did want to mention because it didn't make it from the comic strip to the television show was another character. I think he's alluded to, if I remember right, on the on the show. Well, actually, two characters, let me say that. Two characters. They're alluded to on the show, but I think because of budgetary and special effects uh, limitations of 64, 65, they couldn't do them. And that was, if you read the strip, Pugsley had a pet octopus named Aristotle. And there's, once again, the quirkiness of the family. We're used to seeing a young kid have a, a fish or a dog or a cat. No, he has a pet octopus. And he loves it like a kitty cat. Yeah. And then... Along those kitty cat lines, uh, I, in the show it's alluded to, I said, but it's, I think it was around the same time Cousin It was introduced in 54, we find out Morticia has a pet lion named Kitty Cat. So here's this deadly, you know, predator, and she pets, she's petting it like you, like you and I have pet Shadow Cat and Cooper and calling right. it Kitty Cat. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's I, more of that, that, that off, offbeat humor to the show. And yeah. like I said, they did or to the, to the Adam family as a whole, they didn't make it to the show. I think, like you said with Cousin It, if they were to remake or reboot the series today, you probably have Aristotle and Kitty Cat. They just be CGI. Don't you agree? Yeah, I I think so. I do remember one of the episodes where they talked about the octopus. I think Gomez was telling mm-hmm. somebody about it, and he said, "Oh, oh, yeah, he's probably just got his pet octopus." And the guy was like, "Well, right. what, what what if he gets bitten?" And Gomez just, just says, "Oh, don't worry, Pugsley doesn't bite anybody." <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's the yeah. even we're talking about. That perfect example. And once again, to play into this, the more cerebral. What was the dragon's name in, in the monster? I think it was Spot, like a like a dog name. Like a dog, so that's kind of cute. They named this Charles Adams names this this octopus after a famous Greek philosopher. It's a little bit more heady. I'm not I'm not ragging on the monsters. I'm just pointing out the difference. It's one of those things that probably in the '60s or in the '50s, when they're reading the strip or seeing the, the TV show for the first time, that might be their first exposure to the name Aristotle. Yep, you know? could be. So, yeah. right. so anyway. I guess it's a good time now to take a break, and we come back, we'll talk kind of about the, the legacy of the Adams family. Yeah, yeah, I think we'll, we can wrap up with that. All right, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be right back. Attention all time lords and ladies. This message is being sent by Lady President Romana and the High Council of Gallifrey. Heatville Radio presents Examining the Doctor. 
Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor about everybody's favorite time lord, the Doctor. From Hartnell to Whitaker, Examining the Doc provides episode commentaries for favorite and not-so-favorite Doctor Who stories. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, GeekGoRadio.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. She's been shooting off all of my dynamite caps. <laughs> Darling, you have dynamite caps of your own. But they're not any fun. They just go poop. <laughs> At your age, a little poop ought to be enough. All right. All right. We're back talking the legacy of the Adams family. And we, I guess we really couldn't talk about the Adams family without mentioning the classic TV show. It is one of the most identifiable theme songs in history. And it was written and performed by a musician named Vic Mizzy, who did other TV show themes and music and even did uh, feature films as well. And he's actually, I believe, also responsible for making the Green Acres. So another catchy TV. So he's the, he's, he's the Mike Post of the, of the 60s, right. is that what you're saying? Right, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good analogy to make. And the, the main instrument you hear in the song is a harpsichord. But there, there's different horns or woodwind wood instruments. I think you might hear like a, like a clarinet or something like that in there. There's like the, even the like a bicycle point. horn, old bicycle horn, I think at one point in there. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I know it was, I know it was a harpsichord cause I'm a musician, mm-hmm. but I think they were going for that vibe of Lurch cause Lurch, one of the things we didn't mention, when we talked about Lurch, Lurch, one of the things Lurch did to soothe his soul and to pass the time was he played an organ. They had a big, huge, like creepy sounding pipe organ in the house. So. Yeah, and I think he had a harpsichord as well. So maybe maybe that was a coincidence or not. I'm not sure. Maybe that's one of where, where like the song came in. We did put a harpsichord on the show, that kind of right. thing. Yeah, and you do hear Ted Cassidy's voice in the intro as well. You hear him say the words "neat, sweet, petite," but I believe it's Nick <laughs> Mizzy that does the the main singing. It. I, I think that it is probably even if you've never seen the Adams Family television show theme song it is i think one of the probably five or ten most iconic television theme shows of all time don't you agree absolutely yeah and as much as i love the the monsters theme theme song because it doesn't have vocals it's a nice cool little, little instrumental i think that's what separates that song from the monster theme song and why part of why it became so iconic because the lyrics themselves kind of tell you the premise of the show don't they oh yeah yeah and, and trying to find uh, creative ways to rhyme with words like spooky right Kooky, ooky. Yeah. <laughs> you got to give credit to Mizzy for, for coming up with, I mean, it's a pretty clever, pretty clever lyrics. Yeah. Really it is. And who would ever think that a song will become as popular as it did, whose main instrument is finger snapping. And it's a perfect song for Halloween parties because there's kind of a call and response to it. You know, I don't think I've ever been to a Halloween party where that, where, where that didn't pop on at some point during the party. Have you? No, I don't think so. Or if, if not that, then somebody's dressed like somebody from the Addams Family. Right. Yeah, it's like, I don't think, I'll put it this way. If I ever go to a Halloween party and it's been two hours and I ain't heard the Addams theme, I'm going to either going to find the radio or the, or the computer they're, they're playing the music off of or find the DJ they got and go, hey, 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 come on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> now, as we spoke about at the top of the show, there were different reunions and reboots or remakes uh, throughout the years. The first time the Addams Family were brought back after the show ended was actually for the new Scooby-Doo movie in 1972. Of course, we devoted a whole nostalgia trip to Scooby-Doo a couple of years back. and well, That was our first uh, October-themed one, wasn't it? <laughs> I think so, yeah. yeah. And 
most of the cast actually did reprise the roles for that episode. It was John Aston as Gomez. It still was Carolyn Jones as uh, Morticia. But the characters of Pugsley, Wednesday, and Grandmama were recast. Probably most notably... Ted Cassidy still did Lurk, though, did he? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, he did do it in that as well. But it was different voices for Pugsley and Wednesday and Grandmama. But most notably... Pugsley was actually voiced by a young and then unknown Jodie Foster. So I think this would have been even before Taxi Driver. So take that for Which, what it's worth. You, you, you're more knowledgeable on the voice acting than I am. But that is not unusual. When a character in an animated movie or television show is a young boy, they will often cast, because they haven't, they haven't gone to puberty yet, they'll cast a female. Most notably is probably Bart Simpson as Nancy Cartwright. Yeah, does the that, voice of Bart Simpson. Yep, yeah, that's that's the exact one I was going to use as as an example was Bart. And it's so funny when you see like the the the, the inside the actor studio where they had the entire cast of The Simpsons, and you hear Bart's voice come out of this cute little perky forty something year old woman. <laughs> right, right. One other thing about the Scooby Doo appearance was that was actually kind of a backdoor pilot for an animated revival series, and this episode does still air on cable from time to time. Ever since that particular incarnation of scooby-doo went to syndications they actually would divide them up into two parts because that the new scooby-doo movies were hour-long episodes but when they started yep. syndicated they chopped them into two half hours but while you can still see it on cable or syndication from time to time there's never been any home video release of those episodes because the rights were kind of caught up with Charles Adams' estate. So you can find pretty much all the other right. new, new Scooby-Doo movies, just not the one with the Adams family up because of that. And I've seen it before, and I always thought, uh, I loved all the Jerry Reed, Batman and Robin, Sandy Duncan. I could go on Albert and Costello. I think the Adams family being the guests actually fit the vibe of Scooby-Doo better than any other guest they had, don't you? Oh, yeah, because it has the horror comedy elements. Exactly, exactly. And I don't particularly remember the actual cartoon. That was, like I said, this is the backdoor pilot for because it came out right before you were, you're a little younger than me. So you were a baby and I wasn't really paying attention to Saturday morning cartoons yet, you mm -hmm. know? So I just kind of missed it. I have since subsequently seen some episodes and I can't remember how I saw them. Have you seen the episodes of the old Saturday morning Adam Sandler cartoon? No, not really. If, if I saw them, they probably would have been in like an early morning replay or something like that. I'm sure they're available on video in some capacity right. or can find them streaming somewhere, but I don't think I've seen a whole episode. And, 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 if, I, and if I remember right, like Scooby-Doo and like the live action show, they were, it was an ABC show, correct? Right. It, it kind of was in that same block uh, as Scooby-Doo and some of the other Hanna-Barbera stuff were. Right. And it was Hanna-Barbera that was, was the animation studio that did it, correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah, I get the same ones that did yeah. Scooby-Doo. Well, every, well, everything back in that era that was cartoons was, you really only had what? Disney doing the movie, Warner Brothers doing the Looney Tunes stuff, and then it was, it was Hanna-Barbera Filmation. That was kind of, that was yeah. it. <laughs> Those yeah, were the pretty four much. big animation studios. They're not like we have today where there's, there's, there's hundreds of them. Yeah, but the animated series that really only lasted... <laughs> one season it ended after 16 episodes and unlike the scooby-doo version most of the other characters were recast i think it was really only ted cassidy's lurch and jackie guggen as fester and everybody else was other actors playing the roles right and i'm not shocked it only lasted a season because we've sat here and talked about how it was it was family but it was still a little bit more cerebral and dark i don't know how will that translate to a, to a saturday morning cartoon setting now had they gone more towards 
prime time, which at that time you did have the Jetsons, you had the Flintstones, it might have worked out a little bit. But I, I, I'm thinking they're, the, the execs at, at ABC are probably thinking, well, we've already done this live action less than 10 years ago. Why are we going to put a, a cartoon on prime time as well? That's what I'm right. thinking. Right. If they were going to go that route, they would have just brought back the live action cast and done a live action. So. Right. Although the that is my two cents. I could be wrong. Yeah. Though the cast, most of the original cast did reunite for a TV movie called Halloween with the new Adams family in 1977. Even though I remember that because I was seven years old when that happened. I do remember that. Yeah. While it was called the new Adams family, it's largely the same cast. And it's also notable for being the only live action reunion of the cast. And it's also the only time the original cast was filmed in color. Because it was a, I think it was a two hour movie, might have been 90 minutes. It was a movie length story, essentially. Probably 90, probably, but it ran for two hours because when you had all the commercials in, probably. Exactly. And since it was in 1977, there's actually a couple Star Wars running it, too. You got to stay, got to stay hip and modern, right? Right. Absolutely. So the next incarnation, kind of, it would have been the next big revival. This really was the first time the characters were all recast, and that was the pair of live-action feature films. There was The Addams Family in 1991, Addams Family Values, released in 1993. Both were directed by Barry Sonnefeld, and the cast was actually some pretty well-known actors at the time. Raul right. Julius Gomez, and Angelica Houston, as Morticia, I think Uncle Fester was played by Christopher Lloyd, which is a perfect casting. And, of course... Uh, Grandma, Grandma Ma was Carol Kane, I believe. But most notable was probably Wednesday, because that was like the star-making performance for Christina Ritchie. And that's really where it kind of mm-hmm. had that dark, macabre vibe to it. Like, I think it was in the first one where these Girl Scouts are saying, well, I'll buy your lemonade if it's made from real lemons, if you buy my Girl Scout cookies. And Wednesday was like, are they made from real Girl Scouts? Yeah, totally just deadpanning that line. (laughs) And Christina Ricci was, it was amazing when you go back and watch it. She was probably, what, only eight or ten years old when she made that that movie, maybe Mm -hmm. 12 tops, to be so serious and so somber and so deadpan. I have a hard time at seeing that. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) She's doing it. And I I think think for a whole new generation that you and me, obviously, we saw the old television show on those old local UHF stations that would play old reruns on blocks after we got home from school. At least that's why I saw it. So for our generation, the generation before, that is the Addams Family. But for my kids, that is their Addams Family. That was their introduction to the Addams Family, was those movies. If I remember, they were both financial successes, weren't they? Yeah, big yeah, they, they, they were big successes. It wouldn't surprise me that if they would have done a third one had yeah. Raul Julia not died shortly after the second one. Well, they did make a third one. They did make a third one. I, it was, it was, they recast it all, and I think it was direct-to-video, and it was not mm-hmm. very good. I think I've only seen it one time. But I remember, I can't remember who they recast as Gomez, oh, but they recast, they recast Morticia as Daryl Hannah. Was recast one. And look, I love Daryl Hannah. She's a beautiful woman. I think she's a good actress. She didn't bring to the role what Angelica used. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important to point out, we've said many times already, that the television show and even the comic strip were, Dark, but still family-friendly. They, they stayed family-friendly with the movies in the 90s, but they did move a little bit more towards adult content, especially the sexual illusions and innuendos between Gomez and Morticia. Would you not agree with that? Yeah, yeah. That's that type of stuff. You might not have catch it when you're a kid watching it, but as an adult, it smacks you in the face. And, and, and as an adult, when that came out, I kind of liked that. Because I think it just it played upon the, the the themes that were 
running throughout all the different incarnations of the Adams family, which is Gomez and Morticia are are very much in love, and they are a very loving couple. And the, the the home fires are still burning, so to speak, years after after marriage and and having kids. And once again, how many quote unquote normal people have marital problems that far in their marriage, and the fire goes out? And here's this weird couple that you look at funny, but yet there's still all that passion. And and this is not how I'll put this. There's a lot of analogies to be made between that and when people finally saw Ozzy and, and, and Sharon Osbourne in their reality show. I, I can think you can see the comparisons there. Here's two people that have been together long time had kids, and there's still a lot of passion there but they're weirdos and you're a bit jealous of them because you're not weird like them, but yet I'm sure you can see the analogy I'm making. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The show did return to Saturday morning cartoon format in 1992 did last for two seasons. So you could say it was that it fared better than the first one. And I think it really was made to capitalize on the success that the movie had. And we were talking about how the movie went darker. They really didn't, from what I recall of the series, I didn't really watch the animated series that much. They didn't go there, and they really brightened up Wednesday a little bit. She's a bit more perky. I guess you could argue that that makes her closer to the TV version from the 60s, but she just seemed to smile more and just kind of be more like, I don't really want to say flower child, but she was a lot more happy and supportive of others than her uh, big screen counterpart. Her her dower depiction by by Christina Ricci. You had brought up that with the TV, made-for-TV movie in 77, there was a Star Wars reference. And we talked about how they like to kind of stay current. That was one of the cool things about the Addams Family. With the movie, and I think there was a version of it on the animated series, one of the songs was, was actually MC Hammer. They did a hip-hop version of, of, yeah. the, of the Addams Family. Yeah. So this is one thing that's kind of cool. It, it, it's, well, obviously, we talk about a lot of animation on all of our podcasts because we're both big fans of animation. And one of the things we've talked about is how animation is – a little bit easier than live action because it's just the artist drawing them. The characters don't have to age, right? They can stay static in time. The Addams Family is a rare media property that has been able through recasting and all the live action stuff to still re- stay relevant and not seem dated because they can do stuff like that. They can right. do it in the 70s and, and, and make a Star Wars reference. They can do it in the 90s and have MC Hammer on the soundtrack. Yeah. And that's... That's kind of unique, I think, in live action stuff, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I think the second one I want to say, uh, tag team, the group that did the Wump There right. It Is, they actually did an Adam's Family version of it. There you go. And this is not unheard of in horror themed stuff because you've got the Fat Boys doing a song for One of the Nightmare on Elm Street, which was originally Fresh Prince. Will Smith did one, but he didn't get permission from New Line and they didn't take it, so they hired the Fat Boys to do it instead. And the DJ Jazzy Jeff, the Fresh Prince version, was actually a bigger hit on the charts. So New Line kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of screwed the pooch on that one. Uh, Dawkin did a song for the Third Nightmare on Elm Street. Alice Cooper did a song for for a Friday the Thirteenth. So using modern, current, popular rock and hip hop musicians was not unheard of in horror themed stuff. This it just it was what it was. There was a cable TV remake that lasted for two seasons. I, I think it was on one of the Fox cable stations. In true remake, reboot fashion, they did bring John Aston back, playing a new character. He was Grandpapa, so they had a Grandmama and a Grandpapa. But I don't believe it was Gomez. I believe it was just a different character that they made just for that show. Because you always see that with remakes. They try to get somebody from the original to kind of give a little bit of, how would you say, 
clarity or credibility, maybe, to, to kind of bridge right, between right. the old and the new. And the, the f- That reminds me, something is kind of tangent to this. The only thing I can remember John Aston really doing between this that time you're talking about now and the show was he had a recurring role on the 80s sitcom Night Court. Yes, yeah. As, where, he, uh, where he played Harry's father, who yeah. Harry thought had died, but actually hadn't died. He'd been locked up in a mental institution for years and had just recently been released after like 20 or 30 years. And I remember he didn't, wasn't on every episode. He was like, I think it was more of a recurring guest star. Right. But he, he wasn't on a big, ton of episodes, big, but. His, right. And the big line he would always say on Night Court was, and this is very Gomez-esque, was, yes, I was in an asylum for the last 20 years, but I'm feeling much better now. Can you, yeah. <laughs> that's so Gomez, isn't it? Absolutely. And there was, there was one episode where he was on where Bull walks in. It's the first time he's seen Bull. And for what it's worth, Night Court could possibly be a nostalgia trip somewhere down the line. I think we both agreed on that before. Yeah. That he looks at it, and they kind of allude to the fact that he, he makes his connection between Bull and Lurch. It's one of those wink-wink, nod-nods where it's not explicitly said, but the fans of the Adam Sandler catch it. I wonder if the Night Court people, Reinhold Ouija and the, the showrunners and stuff, if they thought there was some, then that's why they cast John now. Let's be honest. If, the, if, they, did an, if, they, if they rebooted the Adam's Family in the 80s, as a live-action television show, Richard Mull would have been cast as Lurch. Can we agree on that? Yeah, would have been a perfect cast, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I'm sorry to me to cut you off. I just, yeah. That just thought popped in my mind. It was like, once again, there wasn't a lot going on with the Adams family in the 80s because we went straight to the 90s, but maybe there was something we didn't even think about. Yeah, that's possible. Now, the, the final recreations, you might say, and the current version is actually in theaters as we record this on October 3rd in the year of our Lord, 2021. But there have been two animated Adams Family movies. And I think what's unique about these theatrical animated films is they draw the character much closer to the original comic strip versions. They, they clearly were not inspired by past actors. They were inspired by the drawings that Charles Adams had dating way back when. So I think that's why they did it that way. Right. And I think the biggest example of that was is the character of Gomez. When you cast John Aston, you cast Raul Julia, they're both average height, slender built men. The way that Charles always drew Gomez before we even knew that was his name was kind of as a short, frumpy guy. You know, mm-hmm. didn't that short and a little bit on the chunky side. Right. Not, not quite as short and as this, Boris Badenoff, but that, that type of look. Right. And that really the only thing that carried over to the John Aston and, and, and Raul Julia depiction was the kind of bowl cut, haircut, and, and, and the dark suits. But other than that, physically, it didn't look anything like the way he drew them. And like you said, these new digitally animated movies, which I think, didn't, 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 didn't the second one just open like a week or two ago? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's in theaters as we, as we record. So that Gomez looks just like the one from the comic strips. So. Yeah. And I, I think the biggest known actor or actress, I think, associated with that is Charlize Theron voices Morticia. And I think she could pull off Morticia live action, too, I think. Yeah, you just dye her hair, put a dark wig on her. Yep, exactly. So, is I think I think it's fair to say Morticia is quite statuesque. Yeah, and that that form fitting dress does not hurt. Anything else you wanted to mention about Adam's family before we close up shop here? No, I'm like I said, like I said earlier, Adam's family. I, I'm probably a bigger fan of it than you are. You're more the the monsters guys. When you're talking horror themed sitcoms of the '60s, you're a monsters person, or you're an Adam's family person. Doesn't mean dislike the other one. Much, much, it's very similar to, oh, you're a Rolling Stones, you're a Beatles person, right? Right, <laughs> that, that right exactly. Or, you know, WWE and other wrestling promotions. Many people right, will right, like one right. more than the other, yeah. even if they like more than one. Right, exactly. 
are you Willie Nelson or Johnny Cash? That kind of thing, right? Right, right. <laughs> he's, I guess. He's a musical yeah. analogy. But yeah. I think nothing against the Munster. I just think the Adams family, when you look at, like we said, the theme song, the look of the characters, and the explosion of the gothic subculture in the 90s, which still exists at certain levels today, 30 years later, it's directly influenced by the Adams family. And going all the way back to the comic strip, I just think, and this, like I said, this is not a knock on the monsters. I love the monsters, okay? Don't get that wrong. That's why we did the show last year on the monsters. Mm-hmm. I think when you're talking just impact on society and culture around this time of year, when they think horror-related stuff, the Adams family is one of the biggest influences. I, I, I would dare say the Adams family, much as an influence on scary, spooky things in the month of October and Halloween as like 80 slashers. You think I'm unfair in making, in, in, in making that bold a statement? No, no, I don't. I, I don't think it's it's wrong at all. And I guess one thing that I think could lead to people liking or thinking Adam's family was better, quote unquote, is they are effectively original characters. They right. they were based on comic strip characters, but they were still written by the guy who made up the characters in the first place. Whereas clearly, monsters were all inspired by a classic Universal Studios monster. Sure, sure. And, and I've said it before. I'll say it again. Do not think that I did not like. Monsters, I love them. There's a reason we, that I agreed to do that show last. When you suggested last year, I was very much on board. Very, I was like, oh, that sounds, that's awesome. We'll do that. That's great. I love the monsters. But the Adams family just had a little bit more of a draw to me than the monsters. And mm-hmm. if you if if you haven't figured it out from listening to all our podcasts, let me tell you, me and Seth are good friends, but we do have extremely different personalities and tastes. Yep, absolutely. They, they cross streams every once in a while. They cross streams every once in a while. We both love Johnny Cash. We both love Buddy Holly. But then I don't see. Seth running out to see Halloween Kills when it comes out here in a few weeks, but right. I will. By the same right. token, he ran out and saw Snake Eyes this summer. I didn't. Right. So that's but that's the spice of life, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. On that note, we are going to shut down the power here in the Geekville Radio Studios. I want to thank you, folks, for listening. If this is your first time hearing us, we can be found on the podcatcher of your choosing. Just do a search for Geekville Radio. You can find all of our shows that way. This particular show we call Geekville Radio's Nostalgia Trip, where we talk about pop culture, things of yours, so to speak. But we also have shows dedicated to Doctor Who, Train Hosts, Examine the Dead, which is dedicated to horror. We have our own little Hall of Fame that we call Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame. So if you like this show, you will probably like the other shows we do. And Train, if anybody wants to talk to you about Examine the Dead or any of the other stuff uh, we do for Halloween, where can they find you? I'm always available on Twitter at CrazyTrain underscore JB. That is pretty much my handle across all media pla- social media platforms that I have an account on. So do a search. You'll, you'll, if you see a half-crazed-looking dude t- hugging a teddy bear wearing scrubs, that's me. That's my old wrestling persona. Just to give you a little hint of what we got, got ahead, we, we've got several, like I said earlier, Seth turns over the reins of programming to me in October because he's insane. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is the first in this, in our, this year Halloween Fest. We will do all the shows that Seth mentioned, Halloween-specific episode. I'll have a new Examining the Dead up coming in a couple of weeks probably. These will be scattered throughout the month of October. We're going to review recently released on Netflix movies, we're going to talk current news, horror news, and we're going to talk a little bit about body horror, which is something I'm going to be really interested to see what Seth has to say about that, because I think the only body horror he's probably watched of his own volition was David Cronenberg's The Fly. We also have narrowed it down. We did decide that our classic wrestling memories this month will be reviewing the first Halloween Havoc 1989. Is that correct? Correct, yes. Correct, yes. Seth? Okay. I thought I lost you there for a second. Did I put oh. you to sleep already? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
we have a lesser known geek hall of fame coming up. We'll kind of leave. We'll leave, wait till we get closer to that to let you what that's going to be because we're hoping to have a guest on that one. What's the horror themed uh, Doctor Who? Uh, examine the Doctor that you and uh, Mark are doing. For we we are going to be reviewing and doing commentary for the Tom Baker story Horror at Fang Rock, which there's actually there a, a fun little side story about that that story. If you grew up in the Chicago area in the 1980s and watched your PBS and Doctor Who came on, there's something else you can probably relate to as far as that story goes. But I'll oh, save okay. that explanation for those. All I can say is but the title alone, Horror Fang Rock is a horror guy. I'm, I'm sold. Oh, yeah. It follows all the tropes, too. <laughs> of course, also throughout the month, we'll, we'll be dropping regular Geekvilles that won't be as horror-themed, but we'll still talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. At the end of the month, We'll have some other other things coming up. Remember to follow us on the on the Examining the Dead podcast Facebook page, as I do every year, with the con- consult of Seth and several other contributors to our family of podcasts. I post one trailer to one lesser known ho- uh, horror movie every day. As we record this, I've done three so far, so we will wrap all those up in, in, in a condensed form. Towards the end of the month, usually drop. We usually drop that on Halloween Day, if I remember right, don't we, Seth? Right, right. right where we do, where we talk all the movies. That- right, right. So check that out every day. It might be you might be looking. Hey, I, what do I want to watch this? Get in the Halloween spirit. These are always good suggestions. I'm also posting on my personal Facebook page one uh, horror themed music video every day through the month of October. So there's a lot of stuff. If you follow me or Seth on Facebook or any of our pages. October is everything spooky and macabre and, and kooky, and we even do throw some comedy in there too. But it's all geek related, so mm-hmm. just stay tuned. And, and we always, once again, we always appreciate your comments. We always appreciate your response. We have really picked up the number of, of follows and likes on Classic Wrestling Memories and Examining the Dead. Uh, I, I I think that bodes well. I just hope that you're not going to the website and not listening to the podcast because one mm-hmm. kind of begat the other. But anyway, right. anything else you want to say before we wrap it up and take it home? Uh, no, 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 not offhand. But I will. I would have to say Christmas is probably my favorite ho- holiday, but I think it's safe to say Halloween's probably my second favorite because, you know, it's the one day of the year we, we can dress up like uh, complete weirdos and nobody will look at us funny. So it, it, Oh, you mean like we normally do? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we just don't get looked at funny. Yeah. But, As I uh, look down at my Jason Voorhees shirt that I'm wearing right now, yeah, that doesn't get as many looks in October as it does in, say, oh, July. Right. Well, as we say right now, I have a gremlin shirt. No, not the creature, the car. So, but Well, that works for me. <laughs> so I'm going to shut down the power here. Thank you, folks, for listening. And we're going to have a lot more fun this month with Halloween stuff. And we will talk to you folks again next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any products or services unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the hosts and or guests do not reflect the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, the Wrestling Brethren podcast, family, or any of their affiliates. Some media used in Geekville Radio is the product of their respective copyright holders, all rights reserved. All right, we are back talking the monsters. The last segment of the show. No, we're not. Time for talking the Adams. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Come yeah. back. <laughs>